Hi, this is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Tanil Miller. Tanil is a global transformation and people experience leader. And in this episode, we talk about the importance of setting expectations before implementing change and transformation strategies, measuring the change, and how getting buy-in across the organization is critical to successful adoption. In this episode, you'll hear Tanil talk about the importance of keeping the conversation elevated internally. It's not just a single email that gets sent by an executive. It's about discussing the progress that's being made and embracing the fact that some of your stakeholders will adopt the desired change more easily than others. What's the best way to communicate the progress, to talk about what's working and what's not working, to actually hear from the people that are being asked to adopt the new technology or cultural change? Do your people really want another memo? Town halls are definitely effective, but those frequently feel forced which can actually compound the stress that your employees might already be feeling around the change and transformation that you're implementing. What are the scalable, non-intrusive, but highly impactful ways that you can message your employees? Internal company podcasts that are published at a repeatable cadence can help move your colleagues and employees across the change spectrum. It allows you to elevate executives, middle managers, adopters, and believe it or not, it's a really great space to hear from dissenters and to address their concerns. Not everyone wants to get up in front of the entire company during that town hall. There's an intimacy and an authenticity to audio that's unparalleled. Venly is an audio platform for business. We believe that your audio should live where you do business. Using Venly, you can seamlessly manage and distribute company audio content to channels like Slack, SharePoint, Notion, Asana, and others all with enterprise-grade privacy and listener analytics. Curious how audio might play a role in how you communicate with colleagues and employees? Email me directly at brian at venly.co. That's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at venly, V-E-N-N-L-Y, dot C-O. And now, the excellent Tanil Miller. Hi, Tanil. Hi, how are you? Tanil Miller is a global transformation and people experience leader focused on enabling organizations and people to drive the business strategy. As an industrial and organizational psychologist, she spent over 15 years as an executive and consultant partnering with leaders to operationalize strategy and drive the optimal performance of their organization through digital transformation, change management, culture, talent strategy, employee experience, remote hybrid work, leadership, organizational development, and strategic communications. Thank you again for being with me today. Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. I, I love the bio. It's like every piece of jargon, every buzzword, exactly. So transformation and change management are concepts and practices that have sort of become jargon, but because it's incredibly important, everyone understands that they need to implement it. Can you just help define what these words mean practically? Yeah, definitely. So I totally agree with you. I think people often confuse them and we have them in articles and podcasts all over and people just hear them and think, oh yeah, I know what that is. Um, I'll break it down pretty simply. So usually transformation means that the business is being transformed based on either external factors or strategic priorities like new business models, for example, or maybe they're moving to new technology or different platforms and things that will automate their business. So that's typically like what a transformation is. It would be something like that. And then change Change management is really how we, again, operationalize those strategic priorities or transformations of the business. So at its core, I like to think of change management as kind of a risk mitigation strategy because it 
you know, regardless of the type of transformation, if the people don't change, we won't see the business results and the ROI that the transformation promises, you know, which is why we're doing it in the first place. So when there's a transformation, you need the change management to enable um, that to happen. And so good change management really facilitates that transition from the current state where things are now to the future state, the transformed state by minimizing uncertainty and empowering those impacted users um, by the charge or the changes so that they're successfully adopting them um, with new ways of working and things like that. So COVID and the pandemic is an example of something that we all were impacted with that might require a business to implement transformational strategies, change management. But in your experience, is there usually an impetus for why a business might need to transform or implement some sort of change management structure? Like when you meet with the executives at a company, what are they trying to accomplish and what are the outcomes that they're looking for? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it would depend on the time, right? So if you asked me 10 years ago, it'd be different than five years ago, than today, than probably next year. Um, but what I would say is, as of right now, it can be, again, a number of things. So it could be things that we just mentioned, like the external factors, right? So that could be things like the megatrends, like urbanization, globalization, you know, generational workforce changes, things like that. COVID, as you mentioned, that would be another one. These are external things or, you know, emerging technologies that are happening very quickly. Um, it could also be things like they have, you know, again, they have to pivot their business model or, um, having new strategies or new, you know, priorities, strategic priorities in the organization that they want to implement. Um, a lot of things nowadays, as well as like, let's say there's a merger and acquisition, things like that, then the change in the transformation might actually be transforming their people experience and things like that. So again, these projects can include things like digital transformation, implementing those new technologies, um, again, reorgs, mergers, I'm just trying to think there's so many different things it could be, but these are some of the typical ones that I see. Um, and then, as I mentioned now with COVID and everything else, a lot of the work is really happening around integrating remote work, hybrid work, and then employee that or improving that employee experience. When we connected offline, you mentioned that part of your work in transformation is building out personas across the organization. That can mean the level of the employee, how many people are going to be impacted by the decision, it goes on. What happens once the personas are identified? How does it become uh, actionable for the business? Yeah, so this work really starts in what we call the change impact assessment and stakeholder analysis, which we do at the very beginning. Um, and that's where we really identify who will be impacted by the change or the transformation, you know, what the scale of the impact is, uh, how exactly their day-to-day -day lives will change, what the benefits and risks for them adopting the transformation or the changes that are coming for that particular group. And then, you know, also thinking through like what would some of those recommended change activities be to mitigate some of those risks to adoption. Uh, and then we take it a step step further, right? So we build out personas using design principles to really map their journey and understanding different attributes and demographics of each group that's different. And, you know, like what they care about, what their current level of awareness that this is coming might be, uh, what current pain points might be, and then also how this particular solution um, will address those pain points. Um, we also think through what we need them to do differently, right? Um, what they need from us in order to do what we need them to do differently. Um, so for example, do they need to just awareness? Do they need training? Uh, do they need to understand the why this is key right understanding why we're even doing this how it's going to benefit them um, what are the best channels to reach them typically those are some of the things that we think through um, and then we use this information all together to develop and execute a plan and engage them and guide them to where we need them to be on the transformation journey how long after the change has been implemented do you need to return back and measure whether or not you're successful is it three months six months a year two years are you measuring along all these different markers? 
It is a great question. And what I would say is, I think if you ask somebody that question, maybe over 10 years ago or 10 years ago ish, they probably wouldn't even have thought about measuring it. I think it, this has come a long way actually in the change space where we are measuring it because everything is based on ROI now. We're basing everything on business. It's not touchy feely. So yes, to your point, what I like to do on my projects is get those feedback mechanisms and those metrics in place before we even launch so that we're measuring base before launch if we can and you know getting a baseline and then i typically depending on the project right if you're depending on how much is changing per time i like to do it maybe come back and check in within like a week or two just to see right away what are the problems what are the pain points what do we need to update or iterate um and then every couple of weeks or every month or so afterwards. Now, some projects, it might be you're iterating and measuring real time, like every day, it might be that way. It just really depends on the project. I know every project is different, of course, but is there some sort of true north metric that you have found across your, your projects that have been a leading indicator for how the change is actually going? That is another good one. So there's, it's funny when you think about measuring change or metrics, I always think of like along two schools of thought, right? So there are the metrics that the business wants to reach right by like their ROI and their business case. So like, let's say we want to implement a new technology platform. There's metrics of, you know, did enough people use it? Did we get the business benefit out of it, out of it? That sort of thing. So there's those metrics, but then there's also I, what I would call the change adoption metrics. So moving people from that stage of, I don't even know this is coming to, I know it's coming, we're moving them up the change curve and then I'm understanding it. I think I can do it. I'm really committed, like those kinds of things. So I think there's kind of two metric measures there. When it comes to technology adoption, again, it's things like how many people are using it. Let's say it was um, Salesforce, for example. You know, you'd want to be measuring: are they doing all the activities that we need them to be doing? Are they in the system every day? Are managers holding people accountable based on what activities they're doing in there? That sort of thing. So it really is specific to the technology platform as well as like the change and what we need people to do there. One of the ways that you serve clients is to help drive change and transformation in their organizations. So what are some of the best practices you've developed in helping clients implement new products, platforms, or other strategic initiatives? Yeah, and I touched on some of these a little bit, but really there are some, there are some really key milestones and best practices that I would literally say you need to have this happening because um, it will drastically, drastically change uh, adoption. And so the first would be, again, going back to the very beginning, speaking with leaders, getting aligned about a very clear, very specific and compelling business case, right? With the ROI, the vision for what the future looks like that really highlights that why, not just for the organization, because that's obviously important, but also for each group that we need to use it or do things different we need to get down to what the why would be for them as well, because that's something that's left out a lot of the time because leaders just think, oh, well, this is going to save my company money. It's going to make me money. I think it's great. Well, that's wonderful. That's step one. That's not the end of it, because otherwise you're bought in, but you're not using it. You want your people to use it. So you have to break that down much more granularly. So once you do that, um, you need to, again, along those lines, identify any stakeholders or end users that are going to be impacted by it and what the benefits are specifically to them. And a lot of that might come from interviewing them, uh, working with them to help explain how it will change and then finding out what those perceptions are. Uh, and then also making sure that everything aligns, everything you're asking people to do and that you're changing, making sure that you can align it with some sort of an organizational strategy or business priority so that people don't see it as just another change they have to do. It's more like, oh, 
I get it. This fits into how we're digitally transforming our organization this year. Totally get it. It's just, it's a weird thing, but it's a psychological kind of cohesiveness that really helps people understand it and like helps them get to the why. Um, so that's number one, I think just really getting clear on that. Um, and then you need to get leaders to, and others that are, you know, influential if possible in the organization to really champion role model, the new behaviors, engage their people, you know, send emails out, talk about it in meetings and really share stories and help them understand why we're doing it, how it makes their life better, and then how we'll support them on the journey. So you've got that piece. And then you also need to, again, include those that are impacted by the change. And this is something that's new. I think back in the day, change didn't really do that. They did change to people very top down in organizations. They didn't do it with people. And now, thank goodness, for various reasons that I can go into if you want, but we're doing it much more co-creatively. And so you need to get those folks that are going to be impacted involved right away, hopefully with building the technology, even meaning providing feedback. How will this work? This won't work. That seems like a big lift, big pain point, um, those types of things. So those are some things in the beginning. Also really need to clearly define the expectations you have of people. So again, if you're having a new technology platform, you need to get crystal clear on what metrics you want to drive, what people behave to a behavioral level need to be doing differently, and then making sure those expectations are shared with those people so they know what they're supposed to be doing and how their managers or leaders will be holding them accountable and also supporting them. And then there's a couple other things I think are key too. So for example, you don't just send an email. That doesn't, you know, you don't just launch a platform and send an email and then you're done. It's like you need to over communicate via various channels, leaders, emails, Slack teams, meetings, every way you can. And then don't stop the effort at launch. Again, another mistake people make is like, oh, we launched our new platform today. We're done. Yay, change management's over. No, that's when change management really, really ramps up. Uh, before that, it's like preparing. That's when we really ramp up. And so that's again to your point where we start measuring um, and really embed the new ways of working into the organization organization and the culture, the way that people already operate. Um, and then I think the other couple things are here is really, you know, enabling, uh, empowering and holding managers accountable to drive engagement on the ground and adoption on the ground because leaders at the, at the higher levels can only do so much. Um, and they're also not always as influential to, you know, the, the more junior folks as well. So the managers are good there, champions are good. Um, also making sure you have bi-directional ongoing feedback loops so that you can iterate as you go based on how it's going for people and they can provide feedback. So again, they feel included not just, oh, I have to do this thing now. Um, and then the last thing I think is really just leaders and managers really collecting and publicly sharing um, tips and tricks, success stories they're hearing and seeing, you know, recognizing people that are doing the right behaviors, all those kinds of great things. I think just continuing to share those stories ongoing. And then again, as we mentioned, iterating uh, the process as we go. Yeah, I'll get you out on this question because I do want to go a little bit deeper here on this, on this point. Like I, I think about Slack, for example. Uh, and adopting Slack. And there's an etiquette to how you use Slack that might be different than the etiquette and how you would use email and many companies use both. So you have sort of these legacy systems that you need to change and there's a process that happens there, right? There's metrics to measure, but the cultural part feels tricky. And you spoke to this just a moment ago about including the workforce into that process. Are there some lessons learned around some of the softer skills that need to be developed and cultural skills that need to be developed within the organization when there's new technologies or new policies that are implemented? 
Yeah. And I, I love that you brought that up because as I've kind of alluded to a few times, I think a lot of leaders or change people that aren't that good think it's just like, oh, again, top down, we have in this new platform, we're turning it on tomorrow. They're going to use it because I said they're going to use it. And that's it. They think that that's going to do it. No, that's not going to do it. Um, and at, at best, that might get you compliance, but it's not, there's going to be all kinds of, it's really interesting how people, <laughs> people will do a lot of weird things psychologically to get around feeling like they're being told what to do. And there's a, a whole theory here about reactance. And it's like basically like, you know, if you tell me what to do without including me and without letting me have a say and that sort of thing, I'm going to do all kinds of really weird underhanded things over here. So I might do that one thing that you say I have to do, which is turn on the platform every day, but I'm not going to do all the other stuff that you really want me to do. So anyways, I won't go down that rabbit hole too much. What I'm saying is, um, yes, there's a lot of cultural things. So I think now one of the things we've learned a lot um, in the recent days and, and weeks and months is that um, you need to really involve people in it being transparent. So I will keep going back and saying the same thing I said, where instead of just like making change strategy and the platform and all the things you're changing in a vacuum and then going and launching it and expecting people to do it, you need to include them, like I said, in feedback sessions, um, during the build, during the launch, after the launch, all along the way because they need to be providing because they're the ones using it or that will need to use it so you need to get them involved early and it also creates a lot of buy-in and then it gets over their resistance because you're surfacing any resistance they might have right away so again the co-creation part is really big um, paying attention to their experience of it not just here's the platform but how does this change my behaviors how does this impact other technologies that we're implementing at the same time or other changes that are happening at the same time so really taking that end user's perspective like really putting yourself in their shoes and thinking through what are all the things coming at them? How is it looking from their lens, not just from the tech person who's um, deploying it? And culturally, again, getting managers to drive the change as much as possible. Because what you see a lot of is, again, the leaders at the top of the company, they, they want a new platform. They want to do this new strategy, this new change. They think, oh, just because I say we want to do that, people are going to do it, whatever. But they don't realize that really the people that have the most influence are managers, right? And even other folks that maybe aren't managers, but they're just really influential colleagues and things like that. Those are the people that you need to drive your change. So you need to get them involved early and help them see the benefits of it so that they can message it. Because it's one thing if leaders talk about how great something is, but if everyone else at the, lo the levels between them and the end users are just kind of saying, no, this is another flavor of the month. This is another platform. It's going to be really hard to use. When they do that, then it just mitigates all the work that the leaders are doing. So I think some of those things are key. And then also, like I said, as much as you possibly can, embed any changes that you're doing into the organization and the way that people already work, right? So it doesn't seem like more work, more things to learn, more things. You're like, oh, okay, I see how this is part of my day-to-day -day, and I just have to do this one thing differently over here. And if you can, embed it into processes that already exist or potentially you know, policies. So if you could, some of these changes you can really embed. So for example, I'll use Salesforce again, but you can tie people's bonuses to how much they're using these things. Like there's a lot of organizational levers that people don't think of that if you tie them to this change, that will make it super sticky as well. Bonuses work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, as a quick aside, there are a lot of people who focus on executive communications and a place that businesses, in my opinion, do not invest enough, if at all, is in mid-management communications and the training that goes into a first-time manager, a director, a VP, because I can ignore an email super hard for me to ignore my manager. Yep, exactly. But that manager needs to be communicating in a way that is effective. Well, and on that note, this is sort of a sidebar, but it's related. And this is something I laugh about all the time because, you know, we promote people who are really good individual contributors to be a manager, a director. Like that's how people typically get promoted regardless of the industry, usually. 
Well, just because you're really good at making this widget or writing that code or doing this individual contributor activity does not mean you want to lead other people or that you have any idea how to do it. And usually you never get trained on how to lead people. So I just think that that's, that's a major flaw in our systems. And, and that just reminded me of that. So you need to like, not just communicate with them, but train them, coach them, arm them with the tools so that they're empowered. Tanil, thank you again for your wisdom today. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Tanil, thank you again for being with me today. If you like this episode, you'll love the next conversation with Chris Hyland. Chris is the Senior Manager of Internal Communications at 23andMe. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, with Chris.